we at in society today? Come after me. I'm a man. I'm 40. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Out of Line. I'm joined with a brand new guest, uh, Brian McArdle, host of From the Stand Sports. Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, how about yourself? Right, ready to get some right. bets in? All right, I'm, I'm having a better week than uh, Georgia football fans are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. So anyway, or, or Paul Christ or whoever these guys are. Um, so I, you know, we can get right into it. Um, Georgia struggles to beat Missouri, and everybody is shocked that Georgia football is made up of humans that can struggle <laughs> against teams that are inferior to them because they were supposedly the kings of college football. They played, they had two ugly wins, and now they drop in the rankings. This is almost like the opposite of Texas's. It, this is almost like the opposite of Texas's loss against Alabama. It was a loss that got them ranked, and this was the win that got Georgia dropped. Uh, like I don't know. It, it to me, it feels like. We may have been misevaluating Georgia in the first place. I think there were two main things that made everybody think Georgia was the so-called kings of college football. I mean, which we hear that a lot, and it's almost never real. But um, I think the two things were, A, they're defending national champs, and B, they killed Oregon by a lot in week one. So because of those two things, I think those two things got everybody to say Georgia's the best team in college football. We really don't know yet. It's just October. We'll find out later. Um, that's the only honest answer, but I, it feels like because they were, I mean, to be fair, I will have to say these were two bad games in a row that Georgia played Georgia, Missouri is not a good team. Like the, the notion that like they were down with like four minutes left in the fourth quarter, they needed like a comeback win to beat Missouri. I think that's kind of pathetic. Yeah. I mean, it's a much different season than last. That's for sure. I think. Very early on, we knew that there is sort of a tier one A and B between Georgia and Alabama last season. Um, you know, th- those two teams lose a bunch of guys to the draft all the time. They recycle, they get pretty much all five stars in, four or five stars uh, to replace them, and they're just as good. But sometimes it does, you know, take that time to get back into the flow of things. But Georgia hasn't really, I mean, yeah, Oregon, we, we can argue back and forth what, how good Oregon is. Um, I tend to lean towards not that great. I don't like Bo Nix at all as a, as a quarterback. Um, so I don't think they're a team that was really going to be a threat, uh, especially in week one. So that's kind of, I feel like that was kind of a gimme game for them. 
Um, so yeah, Georgia hadn't really been challenged uh, very much this season as uh, opposed to last season. So um, I, I think it was just, it was really odd to watch, but I think it was mainly just an off day uh, for Georgia, one that they you know sweep under the rug and it's probably not going to happen again. Uh, and then on the other side of the ball, obviously, you know, Missouri needed Georgia to play bad to stay in the game, but they also needed to play pretty damn well uh, if they wanted to keep it close. And that D-line, uh, they got a ton of pressure on Stetson Bennett, which if you can do that, you're always going to be in for a good day because he's not a great quarterback. Uh, he's similar to me to kind of the QBs that like Wisconsin and Notre Dame typically have, which is never like five star can throw the ball 70 yards. Uh, they got like that, that Rudy mentality. They're, they're going to be, you know, the dogs in the fight that you want, uh, but they're not always the most talented. Um, so if you can get to Bennett, uh, you're, you know, put a little pressure on him. You're, you're going to give him a bad day. And they did. And then, uh, Missouri's kicker just had, uh, Dave, Davis life. Probably. I, I told Andy and Tom on my show last night, he might've been the MVP of the entire week in college football. Uh, <laughs> he was pretty much their reason for losing to the, uh, the Auburn game two weeks ago. Uh, and then he comes in just bombs three 40 plus yard kicks. I think one was like a 53 yarder, uh, all straight through the uprights five for five, uh, no pressure on him. Just ice in his veins performance. Um, and then they won the turnover battle too, two to zero. So, yeah, it was really interesting to watch. I can see why, you know, the committee or sorry, not the committee, the voters uh, and the AP poll dropped them below Alabama. Um, those, those, they're interchangeable at this point. I don't think it really matters uh, who they put one and two at this point. So I'm, I'm not too big on AP. First of all, I mean, the AP poll doesn't really I wouldn't say it doesn't count. For, it doesn't count for anything in terms of like who makes the playoffs, who goes to what bowl game. But though it does right. kind of make a difference. It, it is it is a little bit more important than you think for these schools that are sort of on the bubble and it is better for recruits. If it turns right. out you're ranked in the top 25, though I personally don't care about any of these schools. So I personally <laughs> don't care what they think and they change their minds a lot. I don't think the AP poll perfect can perfectly or anybody for that matter can perfectly evaluate the best te- who the best teams are in college football. I don't believe every voter watches every game. I, I just don't think that's possible. Um, so I don't really, especially when, I don't even think they're incentivized to perfectly evaluate the top 25 teams. It's a lot of it's based on resume and early in the season, you change your mind a lot anyway. Like Texas A&M went from ranked from like, I think in the beginning of the season, like five to then unranked to then like in the twenties. And then it's like, like the Texas A&M changed that much within the span of a couple of weeks. Like the whole thing is just kind of silly to me. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think Georgia will survive this. Um, overall Alabama right now looks like a better team, but like I said, I personally don't care that much about AP rankings right now. Uh, we'll, we'll have to find out more about them. And even if Alabama's ahead of them, the rest of the season, well, Georgia will get their chance against them at some point anyway, in the right. SEC championship game. So if Georgia's is really better, they at least have a chance to prove it. So it's, right. Uh, right now, I think Ohio state looks like the best team, but we can get into that. Um, the, the AP poll, obviously, the AP people obviously disagree with me. Um, what I think is a bigger story right now is the whole Paul Chris thing um, and all the firings. It, the funny thing about this year is that it's not just firings that are happening. These coaches are being fired in like the most undignified ways. Like Herm Edwards got fired on the field and it, these guys are getting fired in like the middle of the season. Like it is like they are just these guys are just dropping like flies at these yeah. programs yeah i mean it's i don't think it's as uh unscrupulous as the lane kiffin getting fired on the tarmac not that uh, bad. 
back in the day. But yeah, the Herm Edwards one is really an awkward watch. It's like a a gentleman's conversation type of <laughs> type of thing going on. Like Herm, sorry, but it's not it's not working out. You know, pack pack your bags in the locker room, and uh, we'll send you on your way. Uh, but yeah, I I don't have a problem with any of the three firings. The Herm Edwards one, uh, we actually deep dived into this a few weeks ago because it's if if you're not looking you know too far into it, it it's kind of hard to miss there's a lot of uh issues we'll say going on uh between herm and the way he was you know running things there it wasn't uh college football-esque a lot of people thought he was still too much in the nfl mindset and he didn't know how to properly prepare uh his coaching staff or the players uh and it led to a lot of i'm they're still investigating, but it looks like there's going to be a lot of uh, NCAA violations uh, from Herm and his team. So I, I just don't think it was, it was an interesting project if they had sort of, I guess, guided him better uh, because they kind of let him do what he wanted and it didn't, it didn't work. And now they're probably going to have to suffer for it in future years, probably losing uh, some, some recruiting uh, and scholarship uh, uh scholarships that they can give out uh to future players so uh that's not great as far as chris goes i've i've seen both sides of the, of, of the ball here from what people are saying i i understand his record was he just you know is very good it's one of the best they've had in, in recent years he's an alumni he played for uh wisconsin wisconsin as a team has finished ranked in 16 of the last 25 seasons Seven of those were in the top 10, so it, it does kind of hurt. Um, but listen, they, they've given each of the last four coaches have, uh, if, if I read this correctly, have coached for at least seven years. And in terms of bringing a new guy in and giving them time to you know, go through their project, do what they want to do, get the type of recruits that they want, um, seven years is plenty of time for me. I, I, I think at least five years is what you should give a coach. Um, before you blow but, uh, give, a project. Coach, you give, give a coach enough time to do what to, all right so you start a new project coach goes out you bring in someone new let's say when chris first came in at a minimum you have to i think you have to give them five years because the current players that are there at the team aren't who you recruited they might not be the same style that you want um it's like a team like georgia tech for example uh had just fired their longtime coach uh collins they run the triple option Whoever they bring in probably isn't going to be a triple option. I mean, I guess they could go specifically look for a triple option guy. Um, mm-hmm. But chances are they'll probably get someone more traditional. So he comes in. He's got a bunch of triple option guys on the team. You know, the first two, three years are probably not going to be great trying to convert an entire triple option team to a more traditional college football uh, playbook. So for me, if you're giving a coach five years, that's enough time to get in. Uh, you know, the recruits that you want that fit your style. And then if it doesn't work out uh, over that four-year period where your recruits are, you know, seniors who are graduating, then you can look to move on. They, everyone uh, of the last four coaches has had at least seven years. So I, I think they just realized that they hit a sort of ceiling where they're going to be like a nine and three, 10 and two team who's maybe sometimes makes um, a New York six bowl, but if they want to get to that next level and go from top 10 to top four to make the playoff. Um, I, I think it was time to start, you know, looking elsewhere. I don't have, so I don't have a problem with uh, the firing there. I don't know. I don't agree. Well, I wouldn't say I necessarily have a problem with it because I think it was a little bit more, um, 
I think it was a little bit more mutual uh, considering that he only took like the buyout was like 21 million and Paul Chris took 11 million. So it either tells me that he is such a gentleman and has, and is totally okay with taking a little bit more near with not getting nearly half of his buyout number or that he maybe wanted to leave because he took about 11 million of the 21 million. Something tells me that he was, it may not have been a mutual decision per se, but I mean, he was at least, there was at least somewhat of his consent and he was at least sort of okay with it. If he was owed 21 million and he only got paid 11 million. I mean, if you, if you think about it, that's, that seems the more like the more realistic uh the situation that actually happened i will also have to say you're not wrong about the whole five-year window thing um i mean it's give or take it's five years to do what i mean scott frost didn't this was his fifth year so he's on his fifth year you might be able to tell after a couple of years this guy stinks that's not that's not difficult i mean these teams don't always give these coaches five years. I mean, Mike Riley got three years, and he wasn't even that bad of a coach. So some, some, a lot of these schools don't really give everybody five years. Um, I mean, Paul Christ had seven years, but it seven full seasons. But it's worth noting that in like all seven of those seasons, I mean, you couldn't have. The thing is, Wisconsin didn't win a national title with Paul Christ, but it's worth noting that they probably couldn't have been that much better than what Paul than the results that Paul Christ got them. Like it's it's very it's very unlikely that they would have been that much better considering they're a team in Wisconsin. Um, it's not exactly the best place for recruiting. You're competing with teams in your conference like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, who are in better who have who are much better situated for recruiting. So, I mean, even if you have a coach like Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, whoever the uh, Dabo's uh, Dabo Sweeney the best coaches you could think of, even if those guys coached Wisconsin, you're probably not winning a title with them because they would get up and leave for a better job. So chances are you're not even going to get anything much better than what Paul Christ gave you. Um, It's one of those things where it feels like, it seems to me like they maybe wanted to change. Um, It might have something to do with donors. I don't think his, it so much has to do with winning and losing. I think it's more because they got embarrassed by Ohio state I think that had a lot more to do with it than anything um, when Wisconsin usually is at least competitive against Ohio State. Um, Wisconsin right now reminds me a lot of Nebraska getting rid of firing Bo Pelini, who is consistently a nine and three head coach. Um, right. Not just because they're both Big Ten West teams, by the way, and are both have similar colors. That makes me although that has a little bit to do with it, too. Um, they seem to be making very similar decisions and Nebraska every year that they've made a big move has pushed them backwards. They have not made a single good decision in over 10 years, whether it was going to the big 10 or firing Bo Pelini and then firing Mike Riley and then hiring Scott Frost. Like everything is just a downward spiral for them. It feels like it's going to be the same thing for Wisconsin. Um, I also think that I could be wrong about this. From what I understand, big, the big 10 is getting rid of divisions. That is or might to get rid of divisions. It's part of the rumor. I think it's still dependent on the way that the ESPN deal goes, um, how those negotiations go. Because yeah. so, so depending on what happens, they might get rid of. They, they may or may not right. get rid of divisions. If they do get rid of divisions, um, that would hurt Wisconsin a lot more because now, because Wisconsin was very lucky to be on the weak, to be in the bad division for so many years, when sometimes there were teams that really just weren't that good. They were consistently at the top, which they were consistently at the top of. So that's going to hurt Wisconsin even more. 
I mean, I like Jim Leonard. He, um, I do have a bit of a soft spot for him because uh, he used to be on the Jets. And I, when I first saw that that Jim Leonard was hired, I was like, I was thinking, wait, is that the same Jim Leonard that was on the Jets? And it actually was. So, so I do have a bit of a soft spot for him. But I mean, I, it's also, by the way, it's not just the not being competitive against uh, Wisconsin against um, uh, uh, Ohio State. It's also the fact that he lost to Illinois. He lost to Brett Bielema and that, you know, Wisconsin fans probably didn't like that very much. It probably has something to do with donors uh, and all sorts of, you know, sort of office politics that had to do with this rather than just like them not having faith in Paul Christ. Um, But, you know, like I said, give it a couple of years. By a couple of years, I mean five, six years. And there's a good chance Wisconsin fans turn on Jim Leonard, too. It, I'm. I think the way I would describe this for them, I think it's a calculated risk. I like the thing that you said that I think most sort of encapsulates the entire situation is that this is the best they're going to get with Paul Chris. So at that point, you know, you have to ask yourself, is, is that what you want to strive for year in and year out is nine and three, or, you know, like you said, are donors and fans going to be on your ass about, Hey, why aren't we competing with Ohio state? Why aren't we, you know, sneaking into the playoffs at least, you know, once, like you said, they're on the weaker side of the big 10. So you would think at some point they can pull off a big 10 uh, conference win and, you know, jump into that uh, top four uh, to play in the playoff, but they haven't done that under Chris. So I mean, it's, I mean, I see both sides of the ball. So I, I can see why fans will be mad about this because it is risky. You're not going to get, you know, your, your Sweeney's, your Sabins, or whoever to come coach there, you're going to have to take someone maybe on a, an exact level as Paul Christ, who maybe tries a different style um, and then see if that works. But yeah, that, to me, if I was a Wisconsin fan, I'll put it this way, I I wouldn't want to continue on this level because they do get good enough talent there. Um, we've seen it. They get guys going first round of the draft all the time. Uh, maybe their QB picks haven't been uh, as good as they should be. Um, so maybe bringing a new QB coach to, to go scouting. But it, for me, if, if I'm a fan, I, I want to push for that playoff. I mean, we're, we're not in the BCS era anymore. Four teams can get in. It's it's no longer just top two. So um, more spots are available. And, and if I'm a Wisconsin fan, I, I want to try something new that can maybe push us into that top four. But do you think realistically that next guy is going to get you there? Uh, it, I mean, I mean it, anything's possible, but if the gun to your head, you think it's going to happen for if, okay. So if, if big 10 doesn't combine divisions, I think they will have a chance. Yeah. I, like I said, I think they need a better Q, QB is always their weak spot. They always have uh, great lines on both sides of the ball. Their defense is always pretty solid. They always get great running back. So the running game is always solid. Um, I think they need a, a star QB talent. Uh, and then maybe just a, a tiny bit sprinkle some luck on there in one of the cross divisional games, uh, and I think they 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 could definitely get in there. I mean, yeah, I mean, this was Paul Chris's eighth year. Seven of those years, he's had a pretty good start. This is like the one year Wisconsin's actually had a bad start under Paul Chris. So, I mean, I could see why they would want to like fire him or whatever, or why he they would sort of want to part ways. Um, but I mean, realistically, I don't see them getting much better without him i mean like i don't think it's very likely that they're going to get a guy better than paul christ that's going to do more than he did in seven years 
um, especially if they, especially if they get rid of divisions. Um, I mean, like you said, four teams. I mean, it's still very difficult. It's not so much about the number of it teams is, that get is. in; it's more about the what's that? I no, I'm, you're right. It is. It is. Yeah, it's still difficult, but it's not so much about the number of teams that get in, unless you expect you know there's going to be a 12 team playoff. So I guess that would help Wisconsin <laughs> a little bit. Um, but they, they are moving to eight. So right, right. So I mean, if so obviously that's going to help Wisconsin a little bit, but it's not really about that. That's not really my point. My point is more about the recruiting and where they are and that they're at a distant, that Wisconsin fans kind of have to draw kind of have to accept the fact that they're largely at a disadvantage when it comes to recruiting uh, and that there's only so much they could do. College football is very um, geographic oriented. Uh, that might change within, I mean, considering all the NIL deals and all that and, right. you know, USC and UCLA going to the big 10. So that might all change but in paul in paul christ era it's geographic um there's a reason that teams that are the best are always in hot spots of talent wisconsin is not um so i I don't think there was much more that they could have done like i said it reminds me a lot of nebraska get firing bo pelini then firing mike riley and also their move to the big 12 to the big 10 for the big 12 Everything was a step backwards. This is what it feels like with Wisconsin. And it's sort of like a be careful what you wish for thing. Because it could be true that in a couple of years, Wisconsin stinks. And they're going to be like, I wish we had Paul Christ. That easily I, could happen. It's and very it's not possible. an easy answer. I get like as a sports fan, I understand. Now, I don't really have a college team, but I understand as a sports fan. It's not an easy answer. It's not an easy thing to accept. But it's pretty easy for an, for an unbiased person to process that realistically, Wisconsin is not going to have a better stretch than they did under Paul Christ, most likely, within the next five, six, seven years. That's my it's, main point. It's it's definitely a gamble. But I mean, to, to me, I, I look at, I know 2019 was a COVID year, but they finished that season four and three. They had four losses last season. And then this has not been a great season. So it has kind of been like a consistent downfall. Um yeah, you know, like you said, NIL might might change a ton of things. Like I said, they need quarterback talent, I think would be the biggest change. If they can get someone on uh, a big cheese deal, big cheese NIL deal, that they got a lot of cheese up there uh, in Wisconsin and can sign like a five-star or a big four-star uh, QB, you know, maybe, maybe things turn around. Yeah, like I said, I think it's more the whole uh, losing to Brett Bielema and getting embarrassed <laughs> by Ohio State thing that really had a lot to do with it. Like if he... Like if he was at least competitive against Ohio State or something like that, it wouldn't have been as big of a deal. But because of all that, I think every, I think they were just like, okay, we have to end this. And Paul Chris kind of was like, okay, I'm okay with that. Um, I think he should have went on the, you should have demanded the twenty one million dollars. If I was Paul Chris, I would have demanded the twenty one million dollars rather than the eleven million dollars. That's why I think, honestly, that's why I think it was kind of mutual. He was done. He was just like, you know what? I kind of want out of this. I don't want to keep doing this. That that uh, he had to have at least been somewhat okay with it. Otherwise, he would have taken all the buyout money. Um, so uh, I do want to talk a little bit about this. Um, I'm very salty about this. Um, now I know, like, it's silly that I'm even bringing this up, um, but Alabama beat Arkansas 49-26. Um, I had Arkansas plus 17. Oh, so they at least. They at least could have scored a game. Like, you have to remember, there was like two minutes, a little under three minutes left in the game. Arkansas is already in the red zone. It's fourth and five. (coughs) Alabama doesn't really care at this point in the game because the game's over anyway. 
Right. The guy, they can't just get five yards and score this one touchdown. They gave up two really big, like 85 yard runs. One of them was Joel Mil- it was um, Jalen Milrow, Alabama's backup quarterback. What happened to Arkansas is a- apparently like amazing rush defense. I expected more from them. I'm just very salty about this because they had so many opportunities to just cover. They should have been able to cover. They just laid down and died at the end of the game. Yeah. So, so what happened there with, with the rush game that you're talking about is Saban finally decided to give the ball to Jameer Gibbs, who is, well, was the most hyped uh, running back that had entered the transfer portal. Of course, uh, to the talent goes even more talent. The, the spoils go to Alabama uh, and they pick him up and he gets 18 carries and goes for 206 yards and, and two touchdowns on that Arkansas defense, which like you said, is typically pretty good against the rush, but uh, Jameer Gibbs is just an absolute animal. So uh, he broke off one 76 yard run uh, that really showed his talent. Yeah. I think he averaged over 11 yards uh, per carry that game. It was almost 12, which is just ridiculous. Uh, Typically, you see those numbers only when someone's had, you know, like eight or nine rushes and they popped a big one. But, you know, to have the ball 18 times in your hand on the ground and still average almost 12 yards per carry, uh, that, that's how, you know, you diced up the defense pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, yeah. As, as far as as far as the game overall, uh, you know, Arkansas played Arkansas football. They're kind of like Wisconsin. Both sides of their line are uh, always very tough uh, to overcome. But this is modern Alabama offense you know they're no longer running the ball you know 40 50 times a game in a slow down game they've got guys like Bryce Young and Jalen Milrow who can beat you on your feet but also they got arms so yeah and uh, it's also to the point where I don't think Alabama is that much worse with Jalen Milrow than they are with Bryce Young so so they're actually not I, I brought this up I was telling Andy and Tom last night uh I tried to be like an X's and O's guys this spring and I watched a few spring games because uh, ESPN was airing a bunch of them. Uh, specifically, one was Alabama, and I took notes on it. And for Jalen Milrow, because he played the second uh, half of the game, uh, my note for him was, if Bryce Young gets injured, Alabama equals fine. So uh, <laughs> he, he really showed, he's got a lot of raw talent. He, he's not as good uh, at decision-making yet. I mean, raw talent, he's very young. But, I, I mean, they're they're fine without him. And I think everyone saw it. So uh, he, he could destroy Texas A&M this week as well if Bryce Young isn't healthy so yeah yeah I think like I said I think Alabama is still great whether like honestly when I was looking at this game the Alabama Texas A&M game whether or not Bryce Young is healthy almost had I mean it does have to do with how good I think they are against a team like say Ohio State or something but it didn't really affect my view on this game against Texas A&M like Alabama is I mean, honestly, when you look at some of the best teams in college football, it's actually not uncommon for teams who are whose starting quarterback gets hurt to be totally fine. It's not like in the NFL where it's like, you know, if <laughs> the Chiefs lose Patrick Mahomes, they're not exact, but like they're they're a bad team now, like or at least below average, <clears throat> or even a team like Arkansas. I mean, Arkansas is a lot worse without KJ Jefferson, but. Right. I mean, a team like I mean, think about it. Ohio State was on their third string quarterback when they when they won the national championship. And look how good they were. So it, it just it's a pretty frequent thing. It goes to show you how great of a coach, how like how important it is to have such a great coach in college football. Because in college football, a lot of it is about the coach as opposed to like 
even if you look at Bill Belichick, who is widely regarded as the best NFL coach of all time, if he has Brian Hoyer as his quarterback, he's not winning a Super Bowl. <laughs> Where right. like it, it's just so different. The game is just is just so different. Um, so speaking of Alabama now being the number one team in the country, um, Oklahoma imploded, and they imploded bad. Um, I was actually watching the highlights of this game, um, and the announcer. And I know you're going to laugh, but the announcer was like, this is a prolific offense from Oklahoma, which now all of us are laughing at. (laughs) Um, uh, They got totally curb stomped by TCU. Um, Dylan Gabriel got hurt. Apparently, I don't know if he's going to play or not this Saturday. Probably not, but we don't know yet. Um, Oklahoma totally imploded. I mean, they lost a lot of players from last year and they lost their head coach. Um, their defense is so bad right now, even though they were supposed, even though Brent Venables is a a defensive minded head coach. I mean, when you have a defensive minded head coach and your team gives up 96 points in two games, I mean, that's not the best look. Um, Oklahoma. I mean, the thing is the Oklahoma loss to Kansas state wasn't the end of the world because Kansas state tends to play Oklahoma tough and they've beaten them and they do tend to beat Oklahoma a lot. So and and it was only by it wasn't by a lot. It was a close game. This was just not competitive. So this just made Oklahoma look terrible. Yeah, I I mean the whole prolific offense thing. I I wouldn't call it prolific by any means, but Dylan Gabriel outside of Caleb Williams uh, in the transfer portal, who we immediately knew he was going to USC. Dylan Gabriel was probably the second best QB uh, in, in the transfer portal this season. So to pick him up, you know, obviously I think almost all teams would take Caleb Williams uh, as first pick, but if you can't have him, Dylan Gabriel was a really nice replacement. But yeah, like you said, the, the defense under Venables has been so suspect and <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, he did so well at Clemson. I know it's a big 12 defense and everyone jokes about, uh, you know, how the games, how the defenses just disappear in, in games like this, especially against high scoring offenses. And we see, you know, 120 points in the game, but I, it's, they've been really, really bad. Uh, but I mean, to TCU's credit, Max Duggan has done really well there. So it's not like this TCU team is really bad. And this is, you know, a massive upset. They're one of the top scoring teams in the entire nation. So um, we expected them to score points. I don't know if we expected that big of a blowout. Uh, to be honest, but yeah, I think the second they lost Dylan Gabriel, it was immediately obvious they were going to lose the game. Uh, Although they were they, losing before, they were losing at the, even before. Well, that. I know, but you can always in the Big Twelve, you can always you know expect a possible comeback. Uh, put up twenty one points in like ten minutes, um, but the second he was gone, all shot of a comeback was over at that point. Yeah, it just it looks really bad for Oklahoma. I mean, to be fair, it is Brent Venables' first season, so. You know, we, like you said, yeah. we got to give him a chance. Although yeah. I think that the whole, you know, give <clears throat> give your quarter, give your coach a chance to get recruits thing doesn't matter as much as it used to because of the transfer portal. So, I mean, it, it matters a little bit less than it used to. Um, but this year, Oklahoma just, it, I mean, they're a train wreck. <laughs> they're just a train wreck this year. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't know what else to say, really. Um, I, like, I don't even think. It, this game said so much about TCU. I think it just said a lot more about Oklahoma. It seems like, yeah, yeah, more than it did about TCU. That's fair. Well, I think uh, we just, I also we, had. 
I also had Oklahoma minus like six and a half, so I felt really stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I think all it did was pretty much solidify the fact that Oklahoma is not a contender this year, uh, and they definitely need at least, you know, like you said, a, a couple of years for Venables to get his feet under him uh, before he can bring in his own guys. Maybe we see the defense. I mean, the defense can't get much worse, so it probably will improve in future years. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, it, it was I definitely mean, to be fair, they likely weren't going to be contenders anyway. We just found out a little sooner. Right, yeah. No, that's, I don't. There was no pun there, by the way. We actually <laughs> – yeah, we, we just found out a little bit earlier that in the season that they weren't going to be contenders. Um, so, you know, I want to get into some of the picks. Texas versus Oklahoma, plus nine and a half. Over under 65, 65 and a half in the Red River showdown in Dallas. Um, I, you can go first with your pick in this game. All right. Yeah. So, so mine, because of the injury situation, I didn't really want to touch the spread on this one. Uh, but as far as the over under goes, it's 65 and a half. Uh, I have to take the over here, regardless of how things play out. We talked pre show. Uh, about the about the quarterbacks because everyone's trying to get information on this before they lock yeah, in a bet. Nobody can figure it out. Exactly. <laughs> so you know, Quinn Ewers does look like he's going to be playing. Dylan Gabriel's probably is not going to play. But for me, I don't think that changes much. I'm still taking the over regardless uh, of if he does or not because both of these games. I mean, it's a huge rivalry game. Everyone knows that. Uh, we just talked about the Big Twelve defenses not very good, pretty much ever. Uh, and the last two years, this game has gone over 90 points uh, in each game. So you've got like, what, a 25 and a half point uh, buffer there uh, in, in terms of how this rivalry typically goes. Uh, and then if D- Dylan Gabriel is out, the quarterback they brought in, Devis Bevel, did really bad last week. Um, but <laughs> maybe they'll after, maybe they'll play general booty. They could. They did say they might they might look at general booty. He's getting snaps in uh, practice. So. Um, but yeah, even if Bevel's out, I I pretty much expect that Oklahoma offense to not be on the field as long. Texas will take over with Quinn Ewers, and they'll sort of you know start rolling and and take over most of the responsibility for the points. And in that scenario, I see them dropping like forty five on that uh, Oklahoma defense, and then you know Oklahoma will probably get some garbage touchdowns, and we'll still hit the over there. Oklahoma's passing defense is very bad. Um, the thing is, I know for a fact. I can basically tell you now, Texas is going to score a lot of points. They always do score a lot of points. This game, the Red River Showdown is always high scoring. Um, I don't know what Oklahoma is going to do. I feel like they're a little bit more unpredictable. But it's pretty predictable that Texas is going to score a lot of points. Um, I'm with you completely. I agree with you 100% on the over in this game. I also bet the over 65 and a half. Um, Unlike you, I did touch the spread this game. Um, yesterday, Texas was only favored by seven. So less than 24 hours ago, the spread was seven. <clears throat> Everybody must have been rushing to bet Texas. Now the spread is nine and a half. Oklahoma is getting nine and a half, and I took Oklahoma. Despite all of, the, all of the things we just said about Oklahoma, I know it might sound a little bit contradictory, but it's worth noting that this is not a pro-Oklahoma bet, really. It's really more of like, it's not because I'm not convinced that Oklahoma isn't a train wreck and all that. It's really more because I'm not convinced Texas is really that much better. We really don't know that yet. Um, outside of their one loss to Alabama, which was amazing, an amazing loss, they their best win was against West Virginia. Um, I think they're a much better home team than they are a neutral site or road 
road team. This is a, this game is at a neutral site. That might affect a lot of it. Texas frequently gives up a lot of points. Um, to me, I think Texas and Oklahoma are much closer than people think they are. I think it's a good idea to cash in on this Oklahoma sucks bandwagon uh, because it's, again, it's not that I think Texas, it, Oklahoma isn't a train wreck, but we don't know if Texas is really that much less of a train wreck yet. We really don't. So at this point, nine and a half, I think is way too many points to be giving Texas's defense is probably, like I said before, is probably going to give up a lot, at least more points than you think they are. Um, because their defense really isn't very good. So in this game, I say cash in on all of the – because there must have been a bunch of bets on Texas. Everybody was telling me take Texas minus seven. I mean, two and a half points in like 24 hours. That almost never happens. I, I mean, to go from seven to nine, seven to nine and a half in less than 24 hours is bananas to me. So just go with Oklahoma. Everybody – the public is so big on Texas. Just go take the points with Oklahoma. I don't expect them to win outright, but – Nine and nine and a half points is a lot. I could see this game being like, you know, forty-two to thirty-five, something like that. In yeah, a typical I'll, I'll, fashion. I'll tell you what, though, getting people yesterday, unless they had you know some inside info on like a Texas insider board about uh, Ewers coming back, getting Texas at minus seven, and now that he's confirmed going to be playing in the game, that seems like a steal uh, to get locked in yesterday. But yeah, nine yeah. and a half, nine and a half here. Although I mean, from I, what I from what I heard, Quinn Ewers was most likely playing yesterday too. It was I can't remember Sarkeesian's tweet, but it was basically a "we'll see" type of thing. Uh, like I said, he doesn't it, want to give it away, right? Yeah, it's more of a playbook type, keep it close to your heart thing than a oh, I'll actually tell you what his you know physical status is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like I said, I don't want to touch this one on on the spread, but I still think I would lean texas a little bit here just because oklahoma is so atrocious uh, if they don't have if they don't have dylan gabriel to play uh for them the the backup is just so bad and then i mean you got to trust who general booty if you don't want to go with uh bevel so um yeah uh, th- that would be an interesting one uh yeah, in I mean, terms of by the way spread. I'll, I'll fully admit i shouldn't <laughs> take this game i shouldn't touch the spread in this game i'm just gonna do it anyway it's just it it's is one of those games where it's like, I don't know, I don't like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. In a, in a shootout-type scenario, which this game goes to a lot, having more than seven uh, is usually pretty beneficial. So uh, you got a two-and-a-half-point two buffer there if this does go into shootout territory. And, and I could also see there being, like, even if Texas is winning by a lot, I could see there being, like, a backdoor cover. Right, yeah. I mean, like, that, like, like no matter what happens... Well, I'm going to say no matter what happens, if there's like a total blowout, but that's I don't think that's very likely to happen. But in all likelihood, as an Oklahoma better, I'm in this game until at least through the fourth quarter. It's unlikely that the game that, you know, Oklahoma completely loses it. I don't think that's going to I don't think that's very likely to happen. Um, I mean, I do like the Big 12 landscape this year. It's it seems like the most interesting conference so far. Um, The storylines keep changing constantly. I mean, Oklahoma was the favorite to win. I'm actually, I'm going to, I don't know who the favorite is to win the big 12. I'll just check it right now. I think um, TCU or, well, Oklahoma state is the betting favorite, but if TCU it is wins, this, wins this game against Kansas, they might, it'll probably be about even at that point. So Oklahoma state, Kansas, Kansas, Oklahoma state, Kansas state, and then Texas and then TCU. <clears throat> Ooh, Kansas Can- over TCU. 
That's interesting. Kansas State over TCU, not Kansas. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Kansas State. Sorry, I, can, um, Kansas is above Oklahoma. I never thought in my life I would live to see the day that Oklahoma has better odds to win the Big Twelve than Kansas. Uh, that Kansas has better odds to win the Big Twelve than Oklahoma. I never thought I'd live to see that day, but here we are. Yeah, it's been a wild ride for them. I'm, I mean, I'm happy to watch it because they've been an absolute dumpster fire uh, at Kansas for the past, you know, decade plus, and they've. They finally got something together. I think a lot of people thought it was going to happen with less miles there. Uh, that didn't work out at all. Um, but yeah, they're they're doing so well. I, I'm rooting for them uh, for the rest of the season. You know, they got a sellout crowd. College game days there this season. Um, yeah, uh, or so, this weekend. So that'll, yeah, that'll be a so fun one. TCU is playing at Kansas over under 68 and a half. Um, I'm an over guy on this game. Um, TCU. Uh, can both these teams, first of all, it's, it's pretty safe to say that Kansas's weakness is their defense, and they have one of the best offenses in college football right now. I mean, they, they have a high-powered offense. Um, they're definitely the best offense that TCU has played this season. Uh, TCU hasn't seen an offense quite like Kansas. Uh, I like the over, and I like Kansas to cover the seven. Um, I know you're on the over, too. Yeah, I'm actually on on both uh as well i had texas at uh or sorry kansas at six and a half there but you know seven even better if, if that's the way uh the wind's blowing but yeah so as far as the over goes like you said both offenses are extremely good i think on both sides of the ball it'll be both of the best offenses that either has faced right. um you know oklahoma didn't show up against tcu so i can't really say they faced a good offense there um but combined uh both teams average over uh, a combined 90 points a game uh, so the over at 68 and a half here, big buffer. Uh, and then TCU's defense can be a little suspect uh, against good offense that they play. Yeah, like, so. I'm, not totally, I'm not totally convinced that TCU has like this tremendous defense. I mean, they're an average big 12 defense right now. Um, they frequently give up, not always, but frequently give up a lot of points on the road. It's worth noting. I mean, they gave up 34 points to SMU. Uh, I mean, they, they only give up 13 points to Colorado, but Colorado was so bad. I mean, awful. <laughs> I don't think it really says much. Um, so I, I'm not at all sold that TCU. Like, like Pete, for everybody saying the party's over with Kansas, okay, fine. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that if you want to say that. But you could, you might be able to say the same thing about TCU because it's not like they're going to be able to roll into any stadium at the Big 12 and just beat them by really big margins. They're not going to do what they did against Oklahoma every time. So I would probably pick TCU to win outright, but that's not what I pick. I'm picking against the spread. So in terms of the seven points – I do like Kansas Kansas plus the seven. Yeah, I, I don't think Kansas is going to roll over uh, at all here. Like I no, said, co- no. college game day is there. This is the third in a row sellout uh, crowd that they've had. They never have sellouts ever. I don't even know if they have half-filled stadiums. So, you know, sellout crowd, the team's going to be uh, super hungry to win. And I just, like you said, TCU very well could win the game. I think they probably should be favored uh, in terms of, you know, winning the game straight up. But the seven points, you know, Kansas isn't just going to roll over uh, right, for right. hyped as this game is. So I think they definitely, yeah. at the very least, keep it close. So the yeah, seven my point is not that I don't think TCU is probably a better team, but that it's not going to be an easy game for TCU. Uh, I, I don't see that. No. Um, like, I think right now people are too much on that hype train right now with TCU. Their, their defense, I'm not totally convinced on. Their offense is pretty good, but... In terms of their defense, they're just about average. Kansas is going to probably going to put up a whole bunch of points. I, I mean, it, I just think that this game is going to be 
it's going to be such a shootout that both teams are going to score so much that the seven points, I just don't buy the seven points. Um, uh, Kansas State at Iowa State. I like Kansas State minus the two. Yeah. I mean, I don't have this one on my card personally because Iowa State is such a weird team every single year. They'll pull off some major upsets and then lose to teams that they just should not have any business losing to. But if I was to pick, I, I really do like uh, minus two there for Kansas State. Adrian Martinez, I mean, everyone saw uh, what he did, what, two weeks ago. Uh, I think it just blew up Oklahoma uh, pretty much by himself. So I yeah. think you could easily do the same thing to this Iowa it's, State. It's, it's almost like a, it's a remarkable feel-good story with Adrian Martinez. <laughs> right, yeah. So... Yeah, yeah, I think everyone will ha- have his back enough to the point that this might, you know, bump up to minus three by the time the game starts on Saturday. Yeah, Adrian Martinez has been good enough to the point where everybody forgot that he lost to Tulane. <laughs> Look, like that's how good Kansas State has been recently. Pretty much, yeah. So yeah, yeah. So I, I like Kansas State. I don't care that they're on the road. Minus, I mean, that's not a lot of points. And uh, <clears throat> um, Texas Tech at Oklahoma State. I don't know if you took this game or not. I like Oklahoma State minus a nine and a half. Texas Tech is a is um they're a horrendous road team. They're atrocious on the road. Oklahoma State has been very good lately. They just went on the road and beat Baylor by double digits. I like Oklahoma State this game. Yeah, I kind of a failed project with Tyler Shuck there at Texas uh, Texas Tech. Sanders, I'd never have loved him as much as a quarterback, but he's definitely matured. Uh, a lot this season he's making a lot better decisions and that offense is just 47.8 points a game so you know they're providing for the team uh and oh i we just shat on you know big 12 defenses for like five straight minutes but (laughs) oklahoma state typically has one of the better defenses in all the big 12 time in and time out so uh that offense combined with uh their typical defense i think will will do well and yeah, nine and a half, it, it's kind of an odd one, but I, I think they probably pull it out because Texas Tech has gone to that backup QB situation, so they're yeah. still in flux over I there. I think Oklahoma State should probably win by two touchdowns or more. I think Oklahoma State looks like a top 10 team right now, um, and, and they're favored to win the conference. So they, they this should be – most of the time, like I said, I think I may have said before, it doesn't look like there's any easy wins. I won't call this an easy win for Oklahoma State, but it's as close to an easy win as you're going to get in the whole in the whole conference right now. Um Another one is Utah at UCLA. I love Utah this game. Utah has the best defense in the Big 12 right now, in the uh, Pac-12 right now. Um, I like UCLA too. I was wrong about UCLA last week. Um, it's interesting how good UCLA has been, but I really like Utah this game. I think Utah is the most underrated team in college football right now. I think they're right up there with USC. Uh, I like you. I like Utah minus the three and a half. Yeah, Utah, I mean – they had a really unfortunate loss. I mean, I think people genu- genuinely thought that they had a shot at the playoff. Um, I kind of did they as well. Still do. Yeah. I, the Pac- I mean, they still do. If Utah wins out, there's no way they don't make the playoff. The Pac-12, I mean, I, I technically agree with that. If we get into a scenario where they're playing, say, what should be USC in the conference championship game, but USC has taken in like an unranked loss, which is typically what happens in the Pac-12. Uh, the teams blow it like very early in November. I I don't, the committee just has a hard time giving the Pac-12 enough credit uh, for winning the conference. 
I, the only thing that I think helps them a lot is that they were ranked so highly so early in the season. So that loss didn't take them down far enough to where they like dropped out of the rankings or anything. So they still I have mean, enough time to climb. I will have to say, to be fair to the committee, most of the time, <clears throat> I guess that's a little bit true, but it's also true that like most of the time, the winner of the Pac-12 just isn't that good. They usually have at least <laughs> one really bad loss in November or something like that. Like if we were to go through all of the teams that won the big, that won the Pac-12, most of the time they weren't really deserving of making the playoffs. I mean, like it, just year after year, that always seems to be the case. But if Utah wins out, they would have to beat USC twice. They would have to, they would have to be, so they would have to be undefeated in their conference. And their one loss would be against week would be in week one to Florida, which I understand that they're unranked now, but realistically probably are one of the 25 best teams in college football, realistically. So that's a really good loss. Like that's as good of a loss as you can get. It's week one and they outplayed Florida the whole game. So if Utah can, if Utah can win out, which I don't think they will. I'm, like, I think Utah's good, though. I don't think they're going to win out. I think they're going to trip up some game. Uh, so I don't think that's likely. But if they do win out, they're easily a playoff team. I think it would be a disgrace if the committee doesn't put them in. I mean, like, if they do win out, I mean, if you look at the scenario, what are they going to do? Put Alabama, Georgia, Michigan, and Ohio State in? That's unlikely to happen. I mean, I guess Clemson would get in. Yeah. But, I mean, e- even if you take all of the winners of the SEC, Big Ten, and ACC, assuming it's Clemson, which it probably will be. I, I mean, what are they going to – I mean, the winner of the Big 12 probably isn't going to be good enough anyway because they're all going to get tripped up at some point. I don't think it's very likely Utah doesn't get in. I, I mean, like, it, it would just be a disgrace if they don't because they lost week one in the non-conference. I mean, that that's as forgivable of a loss as you can get. Yeah, it, It's really tough because you get into a scenario where, I mean – one of the one of the two in the SEC is going to have to lose, obviously. But if Alabama and Georgia go undefeated into the conference championship game, I both regardless, unless it's like a fifty to zero blowout, which isn't going to happen, both of those teams get in. Uh, Ohio State and Michigan are going to have to play at some point uh, in the conference championship. You know, they would have to play twice. So I guess if you split there, both of them could get in. I don't think that happens. But regardless, you know, one of them is likely going to get in. Ohio State, and Michigan. Clemson looks really good. They've recovered very well since last season. Um, So there's your four. And then you still have, you know, USC that you have to get by. And then Oklahoma State looking like the clear front runner. Like you said, they could trip up, but there's still, you know, a a large pack that kind of keeps them out because Utah, A, already has the loss, which no one else has. And B, I mean, yeah, Florida's good, but they've already got two losses. I don't don't think that loss, or at least, I mean, I don't know. I can't speak for the committee because they're not me. But I don't think the Utah's loss, I don't think Utah's loss should matter that much. I think it's kind of ridiculous that we have, that we, that we live in a college football culture where, you know, you lose one game and you're Purdue, like Utah's a joke because they lost to Florida week one. Um, I want to encourage teams to schedule tough non-conference games. I want that to happen. Uh, So, and week one is not the best. Teams aren't really what they really are week one. I mean, it would just be a joke to, to be like that with that. I mean, if they lose again, to, if they lose to USC or something like that, they lose to UCLA, okay, that's at least one loss in their conference. But if they win out, I mean, that's a win against – let me just look at their schedule for a second. I mean, that, that's at least a win against that, – that's one win against UCLA. Yeah, so if Utah wins out, they beat 
They would have yeah. UCLA on the road, UCLA on the road, USC, Washington State, and Oregon on the road. So those are four pretty good wins. I can't imagine that them losing to Florida should hold them back that much. Like, just based on common sense, I think that's the case. The committee doesn't always use common sense, but based on everything that's going on, that's obviously like they should be a playoff team just based on that. I don't think that's going to happen. They're going to lose at least one of those games. I, I don't think it's very likely, but I'm just saying <laughs> by the chance, by some chance, if they end up winning all of those games. Yeah, I, it, it'll be interesting to watch because I think their best case scenario at this point is having the better loss, basically. And that would have to be against either Clemson, if Clemson slips up in the ACC championship game, which I don't think will happen, uh, or the loser of Michigan-Ohio State uh, if they split between uh, the game in the regular season and their conference championship. So then you have to look at it as whose loss is better, say Michigan against Ohio State, who would be number two in the nation, or Utah against Florida, who already has two losses, might have a third one. Um, let's not forget they do have to play Georgia, which is, you know, I think we can tick that in the, into the lost column already. So Florida would be, at the very best, a three-loss team at that point. Yeah, it, they would be a three-loss team at that point, but it doesn't mean that that loss is that bad for Utah. Yeah, I, I, trust me, I, I don't disagree. I'm not disagreeing with you. Yeah. It's just there's I a mean, lot of... A lot of good, even teams this this season. And I, and I, I also don't buy into this bullshit that like there's a fundamental difference between a ranked team and an unranked team. I don't think any of that's true. I think teams change a lot week to week. Wins and losses are just sliding scales, basically. There's good wins, and there, like somewhere over here is a really good win. Somewhere over here is a really bad win, and it's the same thing with losses. Somewhere over here is a really bad loss. Somewhere over here is a really good loss. Right. That's basically how it is. I don't believe there's any real fundamental difference between ranked and unranked and all that. So overall, I, I don't. I'm not going to hold Utah's loss against Florida too bad. I, I, and I don't like this whole transitive property thing. Well, Florida lost to this team, and then I don't know. Most team. I mean, tennis. Uh, Florida is playing a tough schedule. I mean, it's it's hard to deny that part. So even if they are a three loss team which they probably will be, even if they're an eight and four team. All right. I, I don't really care that much. I, I still think it's a pretty good loss. Um, I want to get into at Tennessee at LSU. Um, I like Tennessee, this game, Tennessee's giving three points. I like Tennessee. Um, I think if this game becomes a shootout, Tennessee should win. LSU won't be able let's put it this way. If they play Tennessee's game, which is likely going to happen and they play at Tennessee's pace, Tennessee wins the game. LSU won't be able to outscore them. Yeah, I don't trust LSU under this Brian Kelly uh, leadership yet enough. Again, same type of thing where new coach players aren't exactly the you know the type of style that he had uh, at Notre Dame that he might want to have uh, at LSU. It's a tough, very tough conference, uh, and Hendon Hooker is looking like you know Heisman quality QB yeah. there at Tennessee. He was so, great, Hendon Hooker. Yeah, so uh, I, I would take Tennessee here uh, as well. Yeah, like Tennessee, Tennessee and the over is what my gut's telling me. Um, Washington State at USC, um, I think it might be 13. It's either 13 or, yeah, USC is giving 13 according to the ESPN app. Um, well, depending on whatever you use, it's either 13 or 12 and a half. Either way, <clears throat> I love Washington State this game to cover. Um, we have to remember, as much as everybody's really likes USC, they haven't really been challenged yet this year. I mean, this is definitely their first challenge. I mean, 
the best team they played before that was like Oregon State on the road. That was the toughest game before that. Which they so, almost lost, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Washington – but yeah, right. Um, you have to remember, Washington State, everybody's underrating them this year, but they're a very pesky team. Um, they can come close. I think they they can come close to beating pretty much any good team. Um, this is not an easy win for USC. I mean, USC probably wins outright, but it's not going to look great for them. Like, I don't see USC easily being able to win this. Um, the, the only big thing for Washington State is turnovers. Uh, as long USC's defense is not great, although um, if the team doesn't throw picks, they don't turn the ball over a lot. So I like Washington State to, act, to be able to cover this game. Yeah, so Washington State has kind of been one of the surprises uh, of the season out of the Pac-12, uh, and a big part of that is they got transfer quarterback Cam Ward at a, uh, I think he was an incarnate something, like a very, very small school. Yeah. Um, sort of like a Malik Willis uh, at Liberty type of thing. They picked him up. Uh, he's had a ton of highlight plays uh, of recent, and the team is just clicking. So the, I think the offense will be there, and, yeah, at 12 and a half with him already producing that offense for them, uh, I, I definitely think that, that they can give, uh, at the very least, keep it close enough to, to cover that. He was that incarnate word. Yeah, yeah, that's that's right. I legit never heard of that place. <laughs> I, I, knew, I knew it was like some religious sounding small school. Yeah, so, so Washington State, I really like this game. It, it's just going to be, I, I don't, this is not, like, just don't write off Washington state yet. Don't write them off yet. And by the way, don't totally think that USC is winning the PAC 12 running away because that's not happening either. They have to go to Utah. They have to play um, USC this year has to go. They have to play Washington state, then go to play at Utah uh, and then play at UCLA. So those are some, di- I mean, I would say Notre Dame too, even might even be kind of different. Well, I, it shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be that hard, but those three games, UFC probably drops at least one of them. Yeah. I one of those games, UFC probably drops. So don't be so sure about USC yet. Um, here's two massacre games that we got to do. Top two teams in the nation, Ohio State plus Michigan uh, at Michigan State plus 27. I love Ohio State. Ohio State should win this game by like at least four touchdowns. Probably yeah. win by 30. Yeah. I mean, Lately, per- Ohio State has been crushing michigan state in recent years personally i I wouldn't put this on my card this is like one of those no no man's land zone type of type of spreads but the way mel tucker has been you know sort of kind of like the paul chris thing it just started out well and it's slowly going downhill and downhill and downhill i don't trust anything they're doing enough to keep it close but in my head i don't know how close because this is a game where sometimes they do turn up uh, and give Ohio State a hard time, but that's, I don't think, going to happen this year at all. 27, though, is – I don't know how else to put it besides it's like a no-man's land where it, it's a lot, but Ohio State could easily cover it. So, I mean, last year, Ohio State beat them 56-7. to Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, last year, Ohio State beat them 56-7, to and this is – um, in 2017, it was a similar score. I don't remember what it was, but this is like the biggest gap that we've seen between these two teams in a very long time. <clears throat> Ohio State is so much better than Michigan State. I mean, Ohio State is so much better is, is so much better than even they were last year. 
And yeah. last year they won by like almost 50 points. So 27 points. I think Ohio State runs up the score. I mean, Michigan State is so bad. They might not, they might not be able to score the whole game. I, I mean, like maybe they score one or two touchdowns. If you look up at the score and you see it's 50 to 10 in the fourth quarter, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So, so I'm, I, I wanted to take a look at Michigan State's past games just to, you know, try to either validate or invalidate my stance here. Um, the first two games of the week or of the season, yeah, they scored a lot of points. Uh, but the following three games, they lost to Washington. They put up 28. That's kind of respectable, I guess, against a, a Pac-12 defense. But then they only put up seven points against Minnesota and 13 against Maryland. So, yeah, if, if I was going to pick one side of the coin here, I think Ohio State could definitely uh, cover this by, by at least 27. Yeah, yeah. Um, Texas A&M at Alabama basically feel the same way. Texas A&M's run defense is terrible. Uh, Alabama should be – I mean, Alabama doesn't play close games at home. They were able to beat Arkansas by uh, 23 on the road. Uh, Arkansas Arkansas on the road is a much better team than – is a much tougher game than Texas A&M at home. Alabama should be able to crush them. I mean, Texas A&M is barely going to be able to score. This, this, looks, this just looks like another massacre. For me, I'm I'm going the opposite here because of the situation with Bryce Young. Texas A&M has a decent uh, rush defense. Milrow, like I said, he's still a little bit raw. So if he's forced to play, I mean, if Bryce Young looks good, maybe they'll at least try him in the game. Um, I don't know. I mean, we're not going to hear anything from Saban until probably Saturday morning, but uh, 24 points. I think is enough to where you can risk it on Milrow being forced to play if Saban wants to, you know, keep things safe uh, in terms of Bryce Young's health. Yeah, AM has looked fairly bad um, in a few weeks, but they still have a lot of talent there uh, in general. So Jimbo and, and Saban have been going on it all offseason, uh, talking shit to each other. <laughs> I, I, I think Texas AM gets fired up enough to where they're not getting blown out here. So uh, 24 points is a lot. Uh, and, and I take Texas A&M. Uh, all right. Um, all right. We'll see what happens. Um, you also ha- took the, this game, middle Tennessee state at Alabama, Birmingham. I didn't touch this game. Oh, uh, what are they? I don't even know when they're playing. Uh, let's see. Time of day is. It's a three thirty game. All right. So I'll be up. <laughs> Yeah, so, so I'm taking Middle Tennessee uh, plus nine and a half. I think the teams are kind of on on the same level in terms of talent uh, and, and production. I, I would put Middle Tennessee maybe a tiny bit lower because uh, UAB as a program has been you know growing pretty well, um, but I don't think they're low enough to where they should be getting ten points um, in terms of difference of skill level here. This is a team that just beat two weeks ago in a- ACC. Uh, number 25 ranked Miami. Yeah, Miami isn't, you know, your Miami of the 80s or, you know, <laughs> the early 2000s, but that's still a big P5 win for for a team like Middle Tennessee. So uh, last week they lost um, by fi- 14 or 15, I think, to UTSA. Not great talent, but I think even they are better than UAB. So uh, I think this one will be much closer. I think they could sneak out a win here. So... To get nine and a half, uh, for me, that that's enough of a freebie t- to, to chase. Right. 
Um, they're also the over/under is only fifty-two and a half. Looks a little low. Yeah, I, I took a look at that as well, mainly because I like Tennessee plus the points here. Uh, Middle Tennessee, sorry. Um, but yeah, I don't know. U- UABs typically they they run a weird offense. The defense has sort of been like the spotlight of the team, so. You know, maybe maybe they hold it to a low scoring game, but if that happens, you know, the nine and a half points looks even better because you know not many points on the board. You're getting uh, a touchdown and a half basically uh, for free in a low scoring game. Yeah, yeah. All right, I might end up betting that game. Uh, UNC at Miami minus three and a half. I don't know if you took that game. I love UNC this game. UNC has statistically the best offense in the ACC. Um, I think this is a field goal game. I can see this coming down to like the very last minute. Neither of these teams are that good, but I can see it being a good game. I think UNC looks better than Miami. So I'm liking the three and a half. Yeah, I didn't bet this one, but, you know, back-to-back losses for Miami. Like I said, they just lost to, to Middle Tennessee, let let up uh, 45 points from a G5 team. So uh, that's not great. They did have a bye week, I think, this week. Um, but yeah, as, as far as offense goes, UNC's got a really good one. Uh, May has been a fantastic uh, addition there to the team as a new starter. Uh, and they put up over 500 yards of offense. So, um, I, I mean, listen, the, their losses to Notre Dame has been kind of struggling, but it's still a very good team. So I, th- I think talent-wise, UNC uh, has the edge here. But if, yeah. for me, the, the, I don't have this one personally on my card. Um, but if UNC is getting plus three and a half, I, I would say that's that's the go-to. Yeah, yeah. So um, similar feeling with the BYU at Notre Dame. I also like BYU this game plus three and a half. It feels like another uh, field goal game. I think that both these teams are around the same level, I would say, BYU and Notre Dame. BYU has been, I don't know, a little bit of a disappointment. Well, I don't know. They've been a little bit up and down this year, I would say. Um, But overall, I like BYU to be able to cover the three and a half. I don't think Notre Dame is that much better than BYU. Yeah, so Tom's going to hate me because I picked uh, Notre Dame straight up on our show last night. Uh, this is this is a neutral site game. Uh, it's in Las oh, it's, Vegas. it's a neutral site game. Yeah, it's at right, uh, okay. the Raider the Raider Stadium, Allegiant. Oh, okay. Um, it, it's like a, the Shamrock Series, I think is what it's called. But anyways, um, I I think it, it's such a tough one to call because I I I believe in Notre Dame to win the game, but I also believe in BYU plus three and a half, which is really weird because it's such a close uh, spread there, but. Jaron Hall has been doing really well for BYU. BYU's defense uh, is always very good. Notre Dame's offense kind of struggles uh, a bit under Drew Pine. I mean, under any quarterback. Like I said earlier in the show, they're not known for having like a top talent uh, QB. They have a guy who you would want to rally around and who usually has raw talent, but no one who's like, you know, your Trevor Lawrence going to sling 75-yard touchdowns through the air or anything. So I think this one probably stays pretty low scoring. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. Tom pointed out that BYU is a lot closer. Uh, Notre Dame has a really rough travel schedule. So three and a half points. I think this is probably going to be a close one, low scoring. Yeah. So, uh, I'll, so, I'll so it's a neutral site proves my point even more. Right. So yeah, um, so I'll, I'll take the points here. Um, also, uh, you took Ole Miss at Vanderbilt plus 17. You took Ole yeah. Miss minus 17. Yeah. So Vanderbilt was actually kind of had a, like a Kansas like surprise to everyone in the beginning of the season where they looked way better than they typically do, uh, which is saying a lot because Vanderbilt is always, uh, you know, the laughing stock of the SEC 
they're not really an SEC team uh, in terms of football talent. Um, but Lane Kiffin, big offense guy, you know, always likes to play fast and loose on the offense, going for it on fourth downs in their own uh, like 40 yard line. So they had a tight one with Kentucky last week. They might be a little bit tired, uh, but typically they'll, they'll run the score up. They've got two great rushers uh, in Quinshawn Judkins and then Zach Evans, who they got in transfer portal. Uh, one of the best rushing duos in the entire nation. So um, that opens up the passing game for them. On the other side of the ball, Vanderbilt allows over 450 yards of offense per game. <laughs> so I think Ole Miss is just going to score, score, score all game long. And, you know, 17 almost seems like a freebie, even though that seems a little high. I think that's freebie territory uh, for me yeah. against a really bad Vanderbilt team. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so Western Kentucky at UTSA, uh, the over 73. This feels like an over game to me. This is one of those like low-level games where you just got to take the over, it seems like. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, obviously the big loss is for Western Kentucky. They lost uh, quarterback Bailey Zappi to the draft last year. He was breaking pretty much every every QB record uh, in college football. But the kid that replaced him, Austin Reed, has been doing really well. Um, both quarterbacks over 1,600 yards of of offense uh, through the air already this season, and both teams are top 12 in yards per game here uh, in the entire country, over 500 yards per game each, which is an absolute ton. Uh, those are not NFL numbers, uh, that is for sure. Uh, only 10 or 10 other teams in the country uh, produce as much offense uh, as these two teams. So, if you're expecting that much offense, you should probably expect. Uh, an equal amount of scoring here. So 73 uh, in relation seems a little bit low for me. Uh, and I'm t- I take the over. Yeah. So this, this last game I'm going to take um, Florida state at NC state minus three love Florida state this game. Um, I'm just not really convinced NC state is that good. I don't, I don't think they're that good. I think Florida state looks like a better team right now. Um, NC state's best win was against West Virginia. If I recall correctly, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I mean, believe so. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not West Virginia, Texas Tech, Texas Tech. Um, got got them confused. So their best win was against Texas Tech at home. Uh, I'm not really convinced NC State is that good. This is the same team that beat East Carolina by one point. I mean, their wins were against East Carolina, Charleston Southern, Texas Tech, Utah, and uh, UConn. That's who they beat. So I'm not really convinced NC State is really that good. I like Florida State plus the three points. Yeah, this is a weird one because typically I watch a lot of uh. Seminal football being in Florida. I'm not a, you know, FSU fan by any means, but typically they're on TV. Uh, it's a local team. I have a lot of friends who support FSU, but this year I haven't watched that much. And before last week, I would have told you NC State in a blowout, but both teams, I, I would guess I wouldn't call the NC State loss to to Clemson surprising. I, I like I said, I think Clemson's improved a lot. They kept it to ten points. Um, and that was, you know, well, I mean, they scored very last second. It was really, the, the game was really, uh, not as close as the score would tell you on the field. It was the score, um, probably didn't reflect the game play. Like I think, I think the play was even, but I think Clemson was the clear, better team. Um, but yeah, on the other side of the ball, you know, Florida state kept it fairly close against the wake forest. Wake Forest likes to score a lot and they kept them to 31 points, which is, you know, not, not too low, but you know, a decent performance for them. So yeah, I think these teams are more even than most would expect. Um, But at three points, I'm not sure who I would take here. 
Yeah, I'm not saying Florida State's great. I'm just not convinced NC State is that good. Right. So like, yeah, know. taking the free points. So here's a ve- yeah, taking the free points. Uh, here's a very um here's a new uh a new edition of unnecessary wagers where I make a very unnecessary wager. <laughs> so here's my unnecessary wager for this week. All right, let me. So Oklahoma State minus three and a half, Utah money line, Washington money line, Ohio State minus 14 and a half first half spread, Kentucky, USC, and Alabama. Money, all money line. Now is this a parlay? Yeah. Okay. It's 10 to win like over a hundred dollars. Okay. It's now, very, very greasy. Very greasy. Now- now, here's my question, because I used to do this a lot um, when I would do deep parlays. At how, how much did adding Alabama affect your payout there? Because that seems like it could be a bit of a trap game, and you're getting only minus 2,300 there. Uh, so how much did that increase your payout? I don't know. Um, I could do the math and figure it out. Um, probably not that much. Okay, that's why I was asking. I, I want to about almost all of the picks there, though, or most of them, at least. Well, yeah, but minus I mean, the Alabama money line. I understand it; it's not increasing the winnings by that much, but I'm so confident it's going to happen. So okay. why not? That's what, yeah, that's what I was asking. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's. I mean, at the same time, any one of those could just go wrong. So you never know, but that is, you know. That is the be- the beauty of parlays. You'll be six teams deep, uh, ready for the payout, and then some G five team who should have been an easy win it blows it all up for you. Yeah, Ohio State minus fourteen and a half first half was actually the lowest odds, the best odds, the lowest odds of I like the that. entire thing. Yeah, I like that. So I don't know. I guess we'll wait and see. Um, thanks so much, Brian, for coming on. Um, yeah. This was a long show today. Um, we'll be, I'll be back next week on out of line. Um, good luck on your bets, everybody and enjoy the games.